38 years, my entire life. Um, first time I ever wore a suit at this church. So uh, is anyone else wearing a tie? No? Well, you know, I'm the odd one out. You know, it's no big deal. Uh, before we get into our Bible study, I do want to just explain why we're here. My mom turned 70 on Friday. 70. You made it. You survived. Got one foot in the grave, but that's okay. You know? So all of our siblings surprised her, flew out. Uh, my sister, my other sister from Florida and Sarasota, my sister here, Sarah, who's here from Franklin, Tennessee, or Nashville area, and um, my family, and then Joseph and my older brother, my younger brother, Joseph, my older brother, Matthew, they live here locally in the area. And we all surprised her out, uh, and it was just so fun and shocking and just something we've never really, <laughs> never really done before, but it was really good. And uh, it's such a blessing to be here. So she feels really terrible for lying to you all today. Uh, because my dad was like, no, the message is taken care of. The message is taken care of. No big deal. So she just assumed Pastor Joel would be teaching. So she put Pastor Joel as the Easter message. But my dad's like, don't worry about it, honey. He always has a word for the church. So he's going he's gonna to be, be able to share. And I want to give a special shout out to those watching online. I know Catherine and, and, and uh, Sonny, they always say we're here. You know, so welcome. Glad you guys are watching. Whoever else is online, uh, I watch and have seen your stage develop and all that different stuff. But what a blessing it is to be able to have so many multiple churches in this house, right? Uh, we have a service on Sunday or coming up at one o'clock. We had one yesterday night, and we just want the gospel to go forth in this area uh, and to not only grow, but like Colossians says, to grow in our heart today as we study God's word. And so, uh, one more quick thing before we get into our Bible study today. Uh, I, I do a different ministry. We planted a church uh, in Delray Beach. It's a small fellowship like this. Uh, it's never been more than 50 adults, and it's just a, a great family setting. We love it, and it's a blessing to be a part of. But I also have another ministry that I pastor to church leaders, whether it be Sunday school teachers, church planners, missionaries, uh, and it's this ministry called eeleaders.com, uh, encouraging and equipping church leaders. And this season is uh, season four of my podcast. Um, and the reason I'm telling you this is because I'm doing something special. COVID threw it off. I always have other pastors sharing and um, just interviews and all this different stuff. But with COVID, I wasn't able to do that because everyone was in lockdown and we were all busy and didn't know what to do with online church and stuff. And so um, this season, I'm actually walking through the book of Nehemiah. So I'm taking 22 episodes to walk through Nehemiah chapter 6 for Nehemiah looking at his leadership so we can glean from things. And after every Bible study that I do, I actually interviewed my dad over the summer when I came here, and, uh, and, and just off the cuff, hey, you have 40 years of pastoral ministry experience. How do you handle criticism? What about when people judge you or leave your church? How do you teach the Bible? What does prayer and ministry look like? And so I say that to you all. I know that most of you guys know all of his jokes and stories anyway, okay? <laughs> but if you ever want to check it out, you can go to our website, uh, redemptiondb.com or eeleaders.com, um, and just talk to someone or talk to him or whatever. But um, I know that if he, if I didn't mention that, it would be a shame because uh, this church has been used in such powerful ways as the gospel is being preached. Just talking to, uh, talking to uh, Uncle Chuck back there. We say uncle because I grew up with Herb Hartso, who's a pastor in this area. We have many people that have been touched by this small church worldwide that is God is using. And it's so cool to see the effects not only in this building but outside of the building online, and uh, I mean, y'all know about it, so, but if you're new, welcome, if I've not met you, my name is Pastor Daniel, my wife, Laura, my son, Jeremiah, my daughter, May, uh, we're all excited to be here, if you ever get to Delray Beach, that's a joke, man, it's 3,000 miles away, come on, <laughs> I never heard about the place before we planted the church either, so don't feel bad, but it's about an hour north of Miami, so if you do ever get there, talk to this guy, He'll give him a cell number. I'll take you out to lunch or coffee, all right? So, um, man, it is super, super special today. Uh, very special, um, not only for the 70th birthday, uh, not only to be with all of you, but obviously it's Resurrection Sunday. It's Easter. Yeah. Uh, and so to be able to teach before you is such a privilege and an honor. And, um, man, I just think about all the people right now uh, that are celebrating the impact and life of Jesus. And to think about that reality about how we can come together, maybe not even know each other, but we can be bonded together by Jesus and what he's done. 
It's a powerful thing to worship God and to have him transform your life. And that's what we're doing. We're going to worship God through his word as we study his word, as we sing songs, as we give tithes and offerings, as we pray for one another and have fellowship. Uh, it's a beautiful thing to have your whole life an aspect of worship. But this is special because people take time to remember something that is very important to our faith. And so let me just set up the Bible study or the text that we're going to go over with a couple of quotes, how Christians are celebrating Easter all over the world right now. Uh, I'm seeing Facebook, and this morning was texting people. They were saying, the sunrise service went great, and my missionary friend in Spain already had his service. And people are just worshiping in this context of what it means. And I want to unpack the meaning of the resurrection with you today. My favorite commentary, Warren Wiersbe, he says, the resurrection is essential part of the gospel message, a key doctrine to the Christian faith. A.H. Ironside said, the gospel is the gospel of a risen Christ. There would be no gospel for sinners if Christ had not risen. And N.T. Knight said about Easter, the message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ and that you're now invited to belong to it. I want to invite you today to celebrate with believers all over the world that will celebrate God for all eternity. And we stand on people and men and women that have walked with God and know God and have had Him affect and transform their lives, that we get to come alongside and make a big deal about Jesus today. Amen? And talk about what does that mean to our lives to be able to celebrate this important day together as a church family in the world and the impacts of that. And so what I want to do is I want to read three passages to you, one in the Old Testament, one in the Gospel, and then one in the, uh, the New Testament and epistles. So Isaiah chapter 55, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9. And then we're going to actually read a story. I want to take Mary Magdalene's perspective in John chapter 20, verse 1 through 18. That will be the, the big text of today. But then there is also the effect of the resurrection. And in a believer, the apostle Paul, he would write to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. 21. We'll read the text together. I'll try to read out loud. I don't have any, I have points, but I don't have any things on the screen, but we can read the, the Bible, the Word of God together. I'll be reading from the ESV. You're probably reading New King James or NIV. That's great. No big deal. But we'll read these things, and I'm, I'm calling this message today, The Resurrection, The Greatest Surprise in History. The Greatest Surprise in History. Let's start with the prophet Isaiah. God would usually send forth people in the Old Testament to speak forth his uh, heart. In Isaiah, there's a lot of prophecy speaking forth about the future of Jesus coming as Messiah, how he'd be born of a virgin, how he would even die and suffer. Many prophecies, but this prophecy or this pro prophetic word from Isaiah is one where God actually speaks forth his heart of who he is, of who he is. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are, are for as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, for my thoughts than your thoughts. Just a little heart of God. Now go to the Gospel of John. It's in the New Testament. There are four gospels. Gospel of John. He was beloved by Jesus. He would claim Jesus to be his best friend. And he writes this take about a woman, Mary Magdalene, which we're going to look at today, about the resurrection and her experience with the risen king. In verse 1, it says in chapter 20, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been rolled, uh, had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, speaking of John, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple overran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there, 
and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that, uh, that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. All right, the last text. This is a Bible church, so we just read the Bible a lot. Even if I don't say very much stuff, we're getting our word in, right? Amen. Ephesians chapter 3. This last text is from Paul to the church in Ephesus. Again, after speaking important truths, doctrine about God, he says this. Chapter 3, verse 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that we can come together, that we could celebrate you. Lord, we do want to celebrate you. We do want to ask, Lord, that your spirit would teach us today. We thank you, God, just for all that you've done in our lives. I thank you for this opportunity to be able to preach. We just pray, God, that you would be glorified, that we would see more of you. And Lord, as we look to your word and unpack this, that the Spirit of God would enlighten our hearts and make us more in love with you, Jesus. Help us to know the meaning of the resurrection and, and the significance of Mary in this story. Help us to see the significance and the impact that not only you've made in the world, but that you want to make right now in our lives. Surprise us, God. We ask this in your name, Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, Webster Dictionary defines a surprise as an unexpected or an astonishing event, fact, or thing. It's an unexpected, astonishing event, fact, or thing. Or as a verb, it is a cause of something unexpected to feel astonishment or shock. You can imagine my mom walking in the buffet, seeing children from all over the country, being in shock. She was surprised. There was something that happened, an event, a situation that actually took place that gave her some feeling, some emotion, some astonishment when her kids showed up. She was expecting something, amazing food. She got a little bit more, right? <laughs> she expected one thing. She got something else. She was shocked. And, and surprises are wonderful, especially these surprises, to be able to be a part of it. But there are also negative surprises or bad surprises. You know, tomorrow is tax day. It got moved. We got a couple of days more, right? The 18th. I remember when I first became a pastor, I didn't know how to do taxes because taxes for pastors are all different and weird. So I had a guy do them. He did them wrong. And to my surprise, <laughs> my shock and astonishment, the IRS said I owed them thousands of dollars months later. After I had got a refund, spent the money, was praising God, and now I'm like, oh my goodness, this... <laughs> It was, it, was, it was a horrible surprise, right? That's why, that's why I hate, personally, I hate horror movies. Or even intense movies that get you, you know how, like some of you guys love them, probably this side of the room, right? I could tell. <laughs> you guys got some strong beards over here, okay? So 
Uh, you guys probably like those intense movies. And you, oh, the jump and the shock, you get the adrenaline. I hate it. I hate those surprises. There are good surprises in life, and there are bad surprises in life as human beings. This is just a part of life and what we experience. We, we expect something. We get something else. And depending on what we expect, our expectation, and depending on what actually happens, we live this life of a whole bunch of emotions, some good and some bad, and it's just it's a part of life. And of course, this happens to us because we're finite people. We're human beings. We are not God. We are not infinite. See, the Bible teaches that God is never surprised because he is all-knowing. So he knows what's going to happen. No one could thwart his plan. He's infinite. He sees from the beginning and the end, even in your faith. He can complete your faith because he started your faith. He's the Alpha and Omega. So he never gets surprised because he knows what will happen. And in this first text that we read in Isaiah, he tries to explain this to us, but obviously we just don't get it sometimes because our experience is so much different. The Isaiah the prophet speaks on behalf of God and reminds us his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He could do some stuff that we cannot do. And that's just who God is. See, we experience things because we are finite. We are humans. We don't have all power, all knowing. And so we get surprised. We get shocked. But he actually says to Isaiah, no, you should expect God to do miracles. Do things that are against nature, that don't just come up in your mind. And God declares this over and over again. And the resurrection of Jesus is one of these surprises that should astonish us as humans. Because it's not normal that someone dies and rises again. God gives us this great glimpse of who he is in the resurrection. And he just wants us to set it up that this is who he is. Now, here's the crazy thing. The surprise for God and for us uh, about the resurrection is not that God um, can raise people from the dead and not that Jesus would even rise again because he warns us. The surprise is actually happens that God said something and he did it. That's the great surprise. See, because the Bible actually talks about the resurrection happening according to Scripture. You know, 1 Corinthians 15, a great chapter on the resurrection. See, Jesus came according to Scripture, died according to Scripture, and was risen according to Scripture. Let me give you some examples just uh, for those note takers. You can look at the Psalm. Psalm 2-2 tells us this. Psalm 16, 8-11. Psalm 110, verse 1. They give us prophecy how there would be a resurrection. So much so, Jesus himself alludes to this in his ministry in Matthew chapter 12. And do you remember he talked about Jonah? And just as Jonah would go down in the belly of the well, that Old Testament story, so I must go down and rise again. If that's not obvious enough for you, Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, Matthew chapter 20, verse 19, Jesus two times in different occasions clearly announced his resurrection after three days. So no, I, I think the surprise, the astonishment of the resurrection is not that it actually happened, but that God said it would happen before it actually happened. And then he made it happen. Because we can't do that. We don't have that kind of power. You know what God does through the resurrection? He not only preaches the word, but he tells you he is the word. That he is all-powerful, that he is God. He does something that you cannot do, and it surprises us and shocks us every time because in our finite minds, we put God on a level like he is man, but he is not. You know, one author, Bible commentator Carl Nelson, he said, the story of Easter is a story of God's wonderful window of divine surprise. The story of Easter is, is to teach us that we can be surprised by God. He's able to do this. God wants to teach us and show us he indeed can be God, is God, and will be God, whether we like it or not. He's God. We are not. And we see this shock and astonishment in the Gospel of John through Mary Magdalene, don't you? 
She is just shocked. She cannot believe it. It is not even in her mind, her thought process. She's seeing angels. She's seeing an empty tomb. She's seeing Jesus himself, and she can't even fathom Jesus is alive. Throughout the text in John 20, what we just read, we see Mary struggling with the idea of the resurrection until finally Jesus shows up, reveals himself to her, and gives her revelation. And we all need revelation from God. God to give us insight of who he is. Even though she couldn't believe it, it was good for Jesus to show up in the midst of her weakness and minister to her. And you know what? It's good for Jesus to show up in the midst of our weakness and show us himself of who he is. And so what I want to do is I want to look at this John 20 now of three simple surprises, simple truths in the story of the resurrection that you can have hope today, that you may have glanced over or missed just looking at Mary Magdalene, these truths that could show us who God is and how he said and spoken these things through his word, but you may have not noticed in the Easter story. And the first thing I want you to notice in verse 1 is that God works in the darkness. God works in the darkness. Now, when we think about the global church, Pope John Paul II said this, Do not abandon yourselves to despair, speaking to believers, because we are the Easter people. Hallelujah is our song. I like that. We're Easter people. Praise God. Hallelujah is our song. Listen, we don't need to go and be lost in despair because we praise God for his miracles and his salvation and his work in our life. And the Bible, like every other instance, talks about how God does the impossible. He does miracles. But let me remind you, Christians, when he does a miracle, it's in a bleak situation. That's why they call it miracles, because you just can't do it. Law of nature can't do it. Some of us, we need miracles even today. We need God's hand and his touch, and God is able to work in the midst of this. And the resurrection tells us that this was a miracle because it was a dark moment because Jesus had been crucified. Read it with me in verse 1. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, and notice it says, while it was still dark. It was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now Mary Magdalene was going to the tomb of Jesus. Why? Because three days earlier, he had died. He had been crucified. This was a devastating moment in her life and Jesus' disciples' lives. Because they had experienced firsthand the love of Christ had seen him work and do miracles, thought he was the Messiah. And so much so, Mary Magdalene, Luke 8, chapter 8, verse 2, tells us that Jesus actually set her free of seven demons. She had been possessed by demons, living in sin, bound by these literal chains. And ever since that moment, God freed her. Jesus set her free. She followed him as a disciple, along with other women and other men. They were following God, and he was having this crowd, and she saw him heal. You could read some of these parables and stories. It says the women funded his ministry and were there to take place. They were a part of his life. Think about Jesus and the parables that Mary was hearing. She would have heard these stories, learned these things. And John, in John chapter 19, verse 25, says that Mary Magdalene was there at the feet of Jesus when he was crucified and died. Just let that settle in for a moment. It's a real person that saw God's hand of miracles. She had been healed. Joseph of Marathea tells the text in John 9, he went with Nicodemus and they brought him, Jesus, to a tomb. She just wished it would have been a made-up dream, a nightmare, but Sometimes in life, things just don't go the way you want them to go. There's too much pain to even process. And now you have these other two disciples bringing Jesus. And Nicodemus brings these spices. He was a wealthy man to wrap Jesus' body. Verses 38 through 42 tell us this in the text of John 19. But because the day of preparation was coming, they closed the tomb until after the Sabbath. They didn't want to defile themselves. They were still followers of God. They were just going through a lot of pain. You could be a follower of God and still go through a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of disappointment. 
The Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, verse 47, says that Mary Magdalene, she saw where the body had been laid. So now the Sabbath has taken place. It's the first day of the week. It's Sunday after the Sabbath. Very early in the morning, they were going to the tomb to anoint his body, the text says. One commentator said this, the women were going to the tomb so that they might show their love for Christ in completing the burial preparation. It wasn't just Mary, it was this group of women that loved and adored Jesus. And this text says in verse 1, they went while it was still dark. This was more than just a time of day. This shows you the heart and glimpse of the mood and the situation. John would do this a lot with darkness and light. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and the Word was God. He would give a lot of pictures and say that Jesus is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all, and He would say, but now there's darkness. And they would go back and forth with this sort of word picture. The saints of old say this is a picture of the, the dark night of our soul. That it, that it actually represents when disciples have this non-hearing from God. They hit a wall. It signifies... Maybe you've been there when you don't see light or hope. When you're grieving, when you're in pain, when you experience a moment of grief, we could walk in darkness and feel like God's not there, that all seems lost, that Satan actually won. And yet it was in this darkness that the resurrection of Jesus teaches us God still works in the dark. Amen? There was something going on that the darkness was real physically and spiritually and emotionally and all these situations and flutters and things are going on. But this needs to teach us that even when we're grieving, disappointed, dealing with sin and death, that God can and still does work in the dark moments. The resurrection teaches us that God is always at work. He's always at work. You see, before there's resurrection, there has to be death. And what the enemy used for evil in killing Jesus, the Lord would use for good to defeat Satan's sin and death. Because on the cross of Christ, when Jesus was crucified, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. The Bible says that on the cross, Jesus bore our sins on the cross so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life to all those who believe. And this is a part and was a part of God's plan. Sometimes it's hard to fathom this because we often question God in dark moments when God says, well, this is how I'm going to work. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because God is with us. He was a part of our lives and our plan. First comes suffering, then comes glory. And this was a shock, not only to Mary, but to Satan himself. You know, 1 Corinthians, I love this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, Satan, the principalities of darkness, the rulers of the age at that time, if they would have known God's plan for the cross, they wouldn't even have crucified him. That Jesus outwitted Satan through having a way higher than what his little pea brain could figure out. I just want you to see the glory and the power of God. And if you've gone through a dark night of your soul and you've come out in the end and seen God's hand in your life, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because even though it's painful, even though it's a process, you experience a glory that you never do just having your own way and your own expectations. And the resurrection should teach us because Jesus came to our dark world to be light. This was the purpose, to work in the darkness, to defeat sin and Satan and brokenness and all the stuff that this world is a part of. Listen, Jesus said, I came to save sinners. This is my purpose. I'm submitting to the Father. He willfully laid down his life. He would tell Pontius Pilate when he was on trial, no one takes my life. I lay it down. I've loved you till the end. I want to demonstrate my, it's so apparent, it's so clear. We do an in-depth Bible study of the gospel and you're like, well, duh, yeah, it makes sense. But at the time it didn't because God has to give revelation and he has to give you this revelation. And so we come to Easter today to praise God because listen, we're an Easter people. It doesn't matter what's going on. There's a resurrected Christ. He's the God that's light. 
He could work and he gives hope. And as we have faith and experience his love, we have hope in our hearts. And no matter what the situation is, we can go to him because he's risen and he works in the darkness. Amen? Amen. So even in the moment of darkness, he works. The second surprise is he works by his might and not yours. You see, God saves us by his grace. God saves us by his grace. You know, Charles Spurgeon, the the prince of preacher, he said this, Jesus can preach a perfect sermon with one word. Jesus can preach a perfect sermon with one word. What I find interesting about this story, as you read through it, Mary gets a whole bunch of facts. Like she sees it, verse 1, the tomb's empty, so she starts freaking out. And she's, she's okay, so that miss is someone must have stolen the body, or where is it? And she's just not understanding, okay, I got to go tell Simon Peter and John, and they run to the tomb. Okay, so the fact is, the word, the, the fact is, is the tomb is empty, but the facts didn't give her hope. It wasn't until she heard from Jesus and got revelation that she got hope. Rabboni, which means master, teacher, Lord, Savior, like the tomb was empty. That was a fact. She wasn't going crazy because Peter and John ran to the tomb, inspected, saw the linen, saw everything folded. There was evidence that the linens were there. Jesus was gone. But verse 9 says, For as yet they did not understand Scripture, that he must rise from the dead. God had not given them this revelation that they needed to know. They just knew facts. Mary knew the body was gone. And here's a crazy thing. In verse 12, as we read the story, it says she had a supernatural experience even. So facts didn't give her hope. But check it out. It says two angels in white were sitting by the body of Jesus laying there. And she still sobbing her eyes out after this supernatural experience. She, she goes, where, where is she? Where, where is he? They're like, oh, he's, he's not here. And she just walks away. Doesn't even phase her. So she has some facts. She has some supernatural experiences. She's seeing angels, but she didn't have hope still. She didn't have hope until she met with Jesus. Because in verse 16, Jesus called her by name. One word, Mary. My sheep know my voice. And it changed her. Her response was, Rabboni, my master teacher. Mary had the evidence. She had a supernatural experience. But it was the word from Jesus that transformed her life. Even Peter and John, they just went back home after they saw the facts in the tomb. Because they did not understand the word. See, you can have the facts about the resurrection. Which we do. There are great facts. You would be a fool today to think that this is a made-up story. Because we have historians like Josephus that actually articulate and describe the moment of the day that Jesus actually died and rose again. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible talks about how Jesus appeared not only to his disciples, not only to Mary, but he appeared to 500 people at one time after the resurrection. We have the facts. You can go to church and have some emotional good experiences, can't you? You could just, I mean, it's just so good. You praise, you have the the tears, they're flowing, all these different things. But unless you meet Jesus, there is no hope. What's interesting about this is you can have all these things, or you could have facts, you could have an emotional experience, but you need the power of God and the gospel to save you. David Guzik says this, knowing the fact about the resurrection is an important start, but it's not enough. You see, we need to let the Bible or the word of God Tell us the meaning and importance of Jesus' resurrection. You know what the resurrection means? Romans 1.4 tells us that Jesus was declared to be God through the power of the resurrection. That's what it means. The resurrection means that the death of Jesus on the cross was complete and satisfied by God. The resurrection proved the work of redemption. Romans chapter 4, verse 24 through 25. The resurrection means that we have assurance of our faith and salvation, and that God will raise us up as he rose Jesus up. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. 1 Thessalonians 4, 
14. The resurrection means Jesus is able to overcome sin, Satan, and death and gives us eternal life, forgiveness of our sins, and we can have victory in him. 1 Corinthians 15, 56, and 57. The resurrection means that everything that God declares to be true, he actually will fulfill it. We can actually bank on it and live according to his word. 2 Corinthians 1, 20. The resurrection means that Jesus is alive right now. And he's in heaven interceding for us. Hebrews 7, 25. You have to understand, we need scripture to know what things mean. We need Jesus for our salvation, who is the living word. You can have a religious experience. You can have a holiday. You can even have some facts, but that will not save you. You are saved through faith alone, by grace alone. You see, it was Jesus' grace that met Mary in that moment. It wasn't her efforts. Did you notice that? She sure was trying a lot. She was there first thing, man. She was zealous. But the, the tomb was empty and so okay, so I'm okay, I'm gonna go up, I'm gonna go up the, the, the chain. I'm gonna go to Peter and John. Maybe they could help. Nope, that didn't work. Okay, no, no, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go to these, okay, I'm uh, talk to the angels. Nope, that didn't help. Okay, now I'm gonna talk to this gardener. Nope, that didn't help. She's doing all this different stuff to try to find God. And none of her efforts helped her. You could do all this different type of stuff to try to find God, but none of your efforts will help you. The Bible says that it had to be a word of grace from Jesus. This is the gospel. It's the power to save. It's a picture of what we need to do because Mary sought Jesus, but it was Jesus who died on the cross, saved her, and opened her eyes. You see, her work in salvation was just seeking him. Faith. Your work in salvation is just, just showing up. Just say, God, I just need you. Where are, you. Where are you, Lord? I want you in my life. Faith. But God's work was saving Mary through Jesus, the work of the cross, God's grace. And in a gracious moment, Jesus ministered to her and gave her that word and revealed who he was. You see, Jesus is called the word. We need a word. You have to understand, this is so different than other religions. Grace, unmerited, undeserved gift from God. Religions say you are not good enough, so you have to do certain things to uh, ascend to God and go to God and be on his level. Maybe, maybe have the ways, the scale, out, the good outweigh the bad. Or maybe, maybe just meditate inside and, and become enlightened and be just spiritual. You have to do all this different stuff to get to God. If, if I go to church enough, if I give enough money, if I serve, or if I'm a kind person, or maybe, maybe I'll pour my life into my kids and that will give me a salvation or a hope. You have to do so much stuff to be satisfied. That's man's ways. That's religion. Christianity, following Christ, being a disciple, God descends to you. Jesus said, I came from heaven to come into earth. Y'all were in some dark? Well, I'm light. Let me expose the Bible says the light does not, or the dark does not overcome light. Light exposes the darkness and overcomes. Jesus was fully God and became fully man and exposed darkness and overcame darkness and did everything that we could not do. In our own best efforts, in our own spiritual experiences, in following other leaders, you can't get your own salvation, but you can have some faith. And this is shocking because we don't think this way. And it was through one word, the living word, Jesus, who met Mary, is how she had hope and salvation. It's through one word, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, that you will have hope and have salvation. Not through your spiritual experiences, not through your own efforts, not through your own whatever. You need Jesus. He saves humanity. And he gave her this word of grace. Our part is to embrace Jesus as the living word and follow him. Call him Rabboni, which means teacher, which means master, Lord, Savior. For all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And she heard his voice and called upon him. She found hope. Now this last surprise may shock you, but I want to bring it to your attention. The last surprise is God uses weak people. God uses weak people. God uses people like me and like you that are broken, that are dealing with mess and sin and darkness and can't figure things out and 
don't think like him and are so finite, fickle. There was a 13th century woman of faith, Julian Wells, who said this, live in the awareness that Christ lives and that he lives in his people. We not only live in the awareness on Resurrection Day that Christ lives, but because our sins are forgiven through the gospel of Jesus, Jesus now lives in us. You notice the vast difference of her salvation, her response. Now Mary is clinging to Jesus. She's like, I don't ever want to let this guy go out of my sight, right? She's clinging to Jesus in excitement. She's passionate about seeing that he's alive. Can you imagine if even one of the close friends died and then came back to life? Or you had a scary situation where you thought you were going to lose someone and then you saw them again? Or reunited after they served in the military? Just this passion, this excitement, this surprise and astonishment. She was actually seeing Jesus. It wasn't her imagination. This is important for us. Jesus has a physical resurrected body, which means we're going to have physical resurrected bodies. It's not like they're just having hallucinations. She's clinging to a body. She's being with Jesus. And Jesus tells her in that moment to tell others about his resurrection and this good news so they would have hope as well. Look in verse 17. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brothers and say to them. And by the way, this is the first time that Jesus calls his disciples his brothers. Because through the work of the cross, we become family of God. I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus was telling Mary not to just keep him to herself, but to share with others. This phrase, do not cling, is a good word for us as well as we celebrate Easter and the resurrection today. Because you know, we could celebrate today in this church. We can get excited, truly meeting God. He's here when two or more, he's here in our presence. He's heard our singing, knows our prayers, our thoughts. But did you know Jesus wants us to tell other people about him that are lost, that don't have hope, he wants us to be heralds of the gospel and let others know that he is alive, risen, Savior, King, and God. One commentary said about this saying, do not cling. Mary was, uh, Jesus was not protesting that Mary should not touch him lest he be defiled. That's not how this works. You can't defile Jesus. He's perfect and gives us his righteousness. No, but astonishing, uh, but uh, she was a... He, he was admonishing her not to detain him because he would see her again and the disciples again. He, he wanted her to go so others can experience the love of Christ. Jesus wants others to know about his resurrection and was sending Mary to tell her. And you know what? Jesus still tells his disciples to tell others about the gospel. Blessed are you, those that preach the good news. Romans 10 would say. The resurrection proved that Jesus was alive, forgives our sin, and now we have life in him. And one of the great doctrines of our faith is that Jesus lives in all of those who believe in him. We get baptized by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit indwells in us, and we are empowered by the Spirit to be used by God and to actually have a purpose and plan for our life. This is the power of the resurrection. The same Christ that was risen from the dead, he will raise us up because we are sealed by the Holy Spirit when we simply have faith in God and invite him in our lives and repent and believe on him. He loves weak people. He died for weak people. And he gives life to dead people, people like you and me. He wants to use our lives now. And Mary is a great example of this. Because, you know, we, we said it. It's not like she was the perfect candidate. This may offend some of you right now, but she was a woman. I know you're like, where is he going with this? I'm just, I'm just giving you some teaching, some Bible teaching. In the culture back then, a woman was not a powerful witness. She didn't have any rights in the court of law. One commentator said, among the Jews in that day, the testimony of women was not held in high regard. But who did Jesus reveal himself to? A woman. Why, why would that? Some actually people say this is another proof that the resurrection happened because you would never make up this story. 
Because Jesus, if he wanted to, he would go first to the governor or back to Pilate and say, see ya, what? You know? <laughs> I told you I have all authority. He would do something crazy. His ways are higher than our ways. He doesn't come as king. He comes lowly. He is near the brokenhearted. Those that are weak, Psalm says. What is Mary doing at this moment? She went to the tomb because so much affection, so much love. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. Rather than going and proving who he was, he, he's God. He knows that. He actually said, I know who I am. The Father sent me. So he washes his disciples' feet. He's okay with his identity. So he's not tripping or worried about if we are weak. He goes straight to the woman that loves him dearly and is broken and can offer nothing first. That's his heart. So he goes to this woman that was bound in sin and shame, bound by Satan. Remember, Luke 8 tells us she was demon-possessed, meaning she did not have her whole life together. God knew all of this when he appeared to her first, when he chose her and told her to witness to others. You know what this means for us? Our past doesn't disqualify us from being a witness to others. Our past doesn't disqualify us. God chooses us. He knows who we are. He knows our, our, our mistakes, our weakness, our, our doubt. And He still comes to us in our brokenness and uses us in our weakness. God wasn't concerned with her weakness because He knew He would be able to fill her with enough power from His Spirit. And he is not concerned with your weakness or your broken past or history because he knows he can fill you with his spirit as you cling to him, as you put your faith in him. Even though we are weak, he is strong and his spirit is able to use us to tell other people. And you know what? After the resurrection, Jesus not only commissions her, if you read the text, he commissions all the disciples. We have this thing called the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28, it, it tells us, Jesus would tell his disciples, appear to them, hey, so as the Father sent me, now I'm sending you. And he would breathe the Spirit of God on his disciples and commission them out. Once again, God uses weak people like us to bring him glory as we embrace the resurrection power in our lives and say, yes, Lord, you are alive, you are king. And the gospel would grow and Jesus would grow and save and the church would expand. And he would appear being risen to a guy named Apostle Paul who had a terrible past. Horrible. He would say, I'm the chief sinner. I killed Christians. Surely God can't use me. But Jesus meets him right where he's at. Speaks a word to him by his grace. Paul repents, has faith in him, and is transformed. He starts planning churches, and then he writes to this one church that he really poured into Ephesus. To believers like you and me, to let them know what they have been taught about God. And if you look at the first three chapters, it's all about who God is. You know what chapter 1, verses 9 through 10 tell us? He prays and he says, God's able to work in our darkness. You know what chapter 2 tells us, verse 8 and 9? That God saves by grace through faith, so no one would boast. And chapter 3 of that chapter he gives an example and he says, surely God could use me because he uses weak people. He used, if he used you, he could use me. He uses weak people, verses 7 through 11. And then in verse 20 through 21, having taught them about who God is, testifying and the power of the resurrection, he says this, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think According to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You see, when we celebrate an Easter, this Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, and remind ourselves of the beautiful surprises that God could do in our lives, it gives us a little hope, doesn't it? We should be giving God glory and praising his name. We're an Easter people. We praise His name because He works even when we can't comprehend it, even when we can't think, you know what? Your sin is so messed up, but God forgives sin. His grace is greater than your sin, 
And it's unfathomable. This is why the Bible calls the gospel the good news. This is why we praise. This is why we sing. Because he's able to surprise us over and over and over and over again that he is God and we are not. There's an old saying in the church. God works in mysterious ways. Isn't that true? Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. The Bible says we live not by sight, but by faith. And so we put our faith in anything that we can do, just like Mary clinging to Jesus. And as we do that, we get blessed. We experience the power of God. We get the purpose of God in our lives. And we get to praise God for his incredible grace. See, this is what the resurrection means. And this is what we need to embrace to have hope. So this isn't just a religious Sunday or things that we just do once a year. No, this can transform everyone's life. And the Bible says that if you call upon the name of Jesus, you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, you'll be saved too. No matter what the situation may be, no matter what your past, no matter what you've done, you may have known what is right, done what is wrong, and yet God is still so good, he could work a miracle in your life and transform you. And so we celebrate this. We praise our risen king who is alive and well, and we call out upon that. And so maybe you're here. I've met many of you, but maybe you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus. Today's the day of salvation. Experience the resurrection Christ and enjoy the power of the Spirit. And maybe you're here and you are a believer, but you just need a fresh empowering of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so we're going to pray. and We're just going to ask God to empower us to be having a mindset that cast on him and clings to him and loves him and shares others this hope that we have. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your grace, for your goodness, for your love. God, we just pray that you would save. We pray that you would work once again, blowing our minds. We need shocks. We are so weak. We are so finite. We're humans, man. You know all of this stuff about us, and yet we lack the faith But we thank you, God, that it's not based even on our faith, that you give that as a gift, that you work, that you move, that you do miracles. So, Lord, we just want to call out for miracles right now. Lord, we just pray for those that need healing, God, that they would be healed. We pray, Lord, that those need encouragement, God, would you bring encouragement? Those people that are discouraged, would you give them hope? Lord, right now, Jesus, those that need life, that are dead and snatched, uh, are in darkness, would you just snatch them with your marvelous light and save? If that's you and you need Jesus, you call upon Jesus right now and you can know his hand in your life and know his forgiveness. Lord, we just pray, God, for a gift of faith, for, to stir up our faith, that we would see this hope that we have in you. We pray for opportunity this week to share the gospel. Give us opportunity to share others that you are alive and what it means. We pray, Lord, for our own study, that we would show ourselves approved, studying your word and continually to going forth again and again to your word to worship you and to uh, re-transform our minds and to renew our minds in your word. Lord, we need your power. We need a fresh feeling of joy and love and peace. These things of the fruit of the Spirit. And so would you just bless us as we've come today to worship you, God. Whatever that next step may be, Holy Spirit, reveal to us what that is, and may we walk in newness of life. We just ask these things in your powerful name, Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Amen.